Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Podcast One presents Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews. The ultimate insider's scoop on the best new books. Every week, Kirkus brings you author interviews, recommendations from the bestseller lists, and insights into books that are not yet on your radar. Hi, I'm Megan Labrice, editor-at-large of Kirkus Reviews. Welcome to another episode of Fully Booked. Thank you all so much for joining us. Today, we continue coverage of Kirkus's best books of 2022 with the best picture books of the year. In celebration of our best books lists, uh, we are conducting a series of five special episodes here on Fully Booked, in which I'm interviewing a best books author from each category, fiction, nonfiction, picture books, middle grade, and YA, followed by a conversation with that section's editor. Last week, we featured nonfiction with essayist Hasmina Barrera and Kirkus's nonfiction editor, Eric Liebetrau. And today, we're all about picture books. So later in the podcast, I'll be joined by Young Readers editor, Manaz Dar, to discuss what went into making this year's list and her year in reading. It'll be great fun. But first, my guest today is PJ Lynch illustrator of Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost, one of Kirkus's best picture books of 2022, published on November 8th of this year by Candlewick Press. Here's a bit from our starred review of Lynch's adaptation of Frost's pensive poem. Notably, Lynch visually subverts several of the poem's customary narrative interpretations, depicting a young, light-skinned writer astride a dappled gray horse. While the poem's line, he gives his harness bells a shake, implies a horse-drawn wagon, Lynch supplies a bell-trimmed bridle instead. Such innovations shift the poem's authorial voice away from that of the venerable poet, adding a fresh layer of mystery to the purpose of this traveler's journey. Lovely pictures newly elucidate this renowned, euphonious work. After the break, P.J. Lynch joins us from Dublin to discuss Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. This message is brought to you by Elizabeth Bro, author of History According to SAT. A seasoned SAT prep instructor offers students a tool intended to help them understand history-related passages they may have to read and write about on the test. As a veteran secondary school and test prep teacher with a doctorate in literature from Vanderbilt University, Bro has seen a steady decline in students' grasp of history since No Child Left Behind became law in 2001. By emphasizing reading skills like decoding, phonics, and vocabulary, the landmark legislation deprioritized knowledge of content in areas like history. Yet the SAT test, a dreaded gatekeeping exam for prospective college students, often assigns test takers to respond to passages about historical figures or events. Unlike many other SAT prep materials, Bro does not discuss test-taking strategies or tricks for making educated guesses. Instead, she distills more than a millennium of world history from the Middle Ages through the 1990s into a concise narrative of fewer than 300 pages that highlights the historical context of documents and speeches that appear frequently as test passages. Kirkus Reviews called it, quote, a clear historical timeline and other materials intended to help college-bound students with a major test, end quote. Readers can find History According to SAT on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback. This message is brought to you by Duncan Forgey, author of Fly and Kai, A Pelican's Tale. A pelican explores an earth the humankind has all but destroyed in this debut eco-fiction novel. Young Kai wants to be the fastest pelican alive. His latest kick is speed diving, and his father's insistence to be more careful doesn't deter him. Kai yearns for something beyond his Anacapa Island home, 
He decides his destination is the Magical Mountain. This place, once the creator's home according to Pelican lore, has lost its magic thanks to humanity's destruction of nature. Along the way, he chats with many animals, mostly avian, and teams up with Pancho, a Baja-based blue-footed booby. Sadly, they witness some of the worst human-caused destruction and pollution. Kirkus Reviews said, quote, avian characters inspire in this appealing environmental tale, end quote. Readers can find Fly and Kai, a pelican's tale, on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback. Welcome, PJ, to Fully Booked. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Megan. It's my pleasure. Oh, it's a pleasure and an honor and a thrill to have you on the podcast today. We are in the midst of our best books of 2022 coverage. And of course, this is the episode celebrating picture books. I'm so glad to have you on to give good cheer to Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost, this picture book you've illustrated. And it's only just come out here in the United States uh, from Candlewick Press. Correct. Yes, that's right. Eighth of November yeah. was the publishing day, and uh, I, it, it's such a thrill to be um, credited by Kirkus for having one of the best books of the year. I, I, I'm knocked out by that. Really <laughs> thrilled. It's an honor, happily bestowed for a job well done. Um, have you had a chance to celebrate uh, the books coming into this world? Yeah, we we had a lovely book launch in uh, Dublin's oldest um, bookstore, Hodges Figgis. Uh, I live in Dublin in Ireland, and Hodges Figgis has been around since the um, 17th century, I think, possibly the early 18th century. So it's a very old bookstore with a great history. Wow. And uh, I used to have a studio a few doors away from it, so I I got to know the, the shop and uh, the people who worked there very, very well. And there was no better place to have a celebration, so uh, we had a wonderful launch there last Thursday. It was great. Mm, what's the vibe visually? Are we talking uh, dark wood, leaded glass, or what's it, what's the space like? Well, it's all been updated since mm. it, since its initial iteration. It looks like a nice sort of fifty uh, year old bookstore. <laughs> Delightful. Uh, it, it has huge windows on the front, mm. uh, uh, three of them, three really big windows, and which I know uh, very intimately because I uh, about ten years ago I spent. Uh, I spent a week in one of those windows painting a huge painting from uh, A Christmas Carol, which was a book I'd done and which had just come out. Oh, wow. Yeah, somebody invited me to paint in the window. It was my good friend Connor who who distributes my books. I I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. But So I was squeezed into this window uh, of this wonderful historic bookstore, and I had very, very little space to stand back. So it it was difficult in many ways, but it was a great fun. Oh, it's, that's so lovely and it's so interesting to me because the actual labor of it, the uh, kinesthetic, like the the movement of art being made, you know, to mm. be able to see that too for passersby sounds really fabulous. It, it's, it, it's always exciting, isn't it, to see an yeah. artist at work? Yes, it is. Uh, I don't know what it is, but we we just love that act of creation and to see it happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm a total sucker for that. When I see, you know, online, I see lots and lots of people drawing and creating something. And often it's speeded up. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's it's great that you get to the juicy bits quicker. <laughs> yeah. But there's nothing like just standing behind an artist and watching them working. So when I was in the window uh, doing my painting of uh, The Ghost of Christmas Present, with Scrooge, 
And I, I had a big audience of, of kids coming up, not just children, it was adults as well. And it was brilliant to interact with them. And they were saying, put this in and make this bigger and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I amazing fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So now let's segue into what what was the labor like to make this book? What did how much time does it take, first of all, to illustrate? Yeah. Your, uh, a book, a book such as "Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening." Most of my books take the guts of a year. Wow. Um, "Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening" it's just a little bit smaller than some some of my usual books, so more like nine months, possibly. Yeah, it's it's each picture. I mean, people often say, "How long do you spend on each picture?" And I usually, as a as a standard response, I'd say about two weeks. But the, what happens is that I spend a couple of months thinking about it and, mm. and, and doing sketches and getting myself into the project and thinking, how am I going to tackle this? And then I start thinking about, once, I, once I've got some sketches, then I start thinking about models, people to play the parts for me. There's only one uh, model required for this, plus a horse. I very early stage, I thought I wanted to have a girl as the protagonist of this book. And that decision was was made in no small part because my daughter, who's, mm. who's now 16, was about 15 at, at this. And I just thought she'd be perfect as the kind of person who she loves horses. She loves riding. And the idea of her riding through this snowy landscape and just stopping for a moment to consider the beauty of it all. I, I just thought there was no better person for it than, than my daughter, Evie. So I worked with her a bit on that, and and it, it started developing more. And this is all before I, I did a single picture. So there's a lot of thinking around it. And then I guess when I when I got stuck into the pictures, then it, it, it all came a lot quicker because I had lots of photo reference of Evie, and I got photo reference of horses, and snow is one of my favorite things to paint. So <laughs> I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. And all in all, I'd say about nine months. Yeah. Wow, that's I'm really excited to hear all of that as background. Um, it really imbues. You know, this is this is these are rich images um, that that radiate care and love and thought. And um, thank you for sharing, you know, the backstory with that. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's great to, to talk about the book. I, lo- I love talking about my work, <laughs> but this book in particular. If I may, I must know how, how and why this poem, how did you, do you remember the first time you heard this poem? How you, how you acquired a knowledge of it? What resonated with you? What made you want to do this work? It was a poem that we did at school. Mm. Uh, when I imagine I was about uh, 11 or 12. Mm. Uh, I don't think we'd done it before that. Unlike you, you got an early start with it, but I think I was about 11 or 12 and it was part of the English class at school and most of which I find really tedious, even the way of teaching stuff that I've I've come to love since then, but it, it wasn't sort of too exciting. But there was something about this poem that broke through uh, the, the tedium, and I just loved it from the first time I, I read it. And I love the the size of it, the completeness of it. Um, the, there's a beautiful symmetry to it, 
And I think at first I was just reading it in a very, very simplistic way. And it's taken years and years and years to delve deeper into the the meanings that might be there or the meanings that I want to put there. And I had to think about that a lot when I was uh, when I was going to illustrate it. Mm. Since since you made mention, um, we we were speaking before the tape started rolling, and I will share with our listeners as well that this is probably the most significant poem in my life. It's a poem my mother taught to me when I was four years old instead of nursery rhymes. It's a poem that I can recite to this day. I will spare everyone, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's one that has really come to mean a lot of different things to me over the years as well. And just to see that it was on the list as I was going through and thinking of who we might have an opportunity to feature for this podcast, I could go no further than your book. You know, just the cover arrested me, knowing that it was stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening, you know, which already had such heft in my life. And you you did not disappoint, I must well, say. Well, that's the thing. I'm, I'm so glad I didn't disappoint. But uh, <laughs> when you're dealing with a well-loved text uh, like this, um, people have their own ideas of how it should look and who the characters should be and what the the, this, the layout even should be. Um, so I I was very much aware of that. Um, I've done lots and lots of different books that other people have done. I mentioned earlier A Christmas Carol and I've done A, a Gift of the Magi. Uh, so I've done lots of classics, but once they've been illustrated five, six, seven or eight times, that kind of gives you permission to do your own version of it. Yeah. Um, with stopping by woods on a snowy evening, uh, I only know of one other version of it, which is mm. a beautiful book. But I, I, I did feel a certain weight on my shoulders. <laughs> I didn't want to disappoint the people who loved the book so much or the story, the, the, the poem so much. One of the choices I see you've made in this book is that not every spread receives lines from the poem there there are these there are these visual pauses there's a, a more of a spacing or a pacing throughout um how did you come to that choice well th- that was a lovely choice to have to make because usually it's the opposite in in my books usually we have far too much text uh especially i've, I've written two books of my own and, and we have tons of text and we're just trying to cut a line here and cut a line there but here We've got this beautiful short poem and we have a luxury of space. Mm. And it was so nice to be able to say, let's let's give this phrase a, a, a spread all of its own. And then even pause after it and think about what's happening, what, what's the girl's what, going through her mind at that particular moment. So that's, that was a really nice problem to have you know to to how where to spread these very very beautiful words throughout a whole book is there a particular line from the poem that's your favorite or a little cluster or even an adjective is there something that really gets you funny i've been i've been talking to a few people about that and and a friend surprised me today well his, his mother told me that his his favorite line was um he gives his harness bells a shift to ask if there's some mistake, which I don't know why that appealed to him. But, it, <laughs> you know, it's a gorgeous one. And there's different aspects to this poem. On, on the face of it, it's charming and cute. 
But the older I get and the more I've reread it, I sort of like the, the deeper nuances that are in it. And I think that the spread that I keep coming back to is, well, the woods are lovely, dark and deep. That's That's been talked about a, a lot in uh uh, discussions about this, but I love the one that just came before that. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. Mm, yes, I, I just think, and and I tried to suggest that with um, with the protagonist, she's taking a moment all to herself. The the the, the horse is nearby, wondering what's going on, and she's listening to the sweep of easy wind and she's feeling the downy flake and i just think uh that one really really touches me but it's it is hard to single out uh special lines uh, in, in such a perfect poem isn't it it really is because you know ask me any day i'll give you a different answer yeah. <laughs> that's a good one that's a yeah good one. How did you make these images? Well, I worked with Evie, my daughter, and we, we took lots of photographs and I did lots of drawings. And I started thinking about how I wanted to pace the book mm-hmm. and where I wanted bigger images. Like there's a big close-up of her face uh, mm. when she's just and – and I really wanted to show snowflakes up close. That was real fun. Yeah. And, uh, and then I wanted to – vary the pace and have have us sometimes thinking about the horse and then occasionally like in the woods are lovely dark and deep to home in on the the girl from a distance so there was a lot of planning went into it and then sketching and the sketches weren't as detailed as as my sketches often are what were you sketching with Pencil on paper. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. always pencil on paper. Yeah. Uh, I would have a bunch of uh, source material around my desk. Uh, other people who've done brilliant paintings of snow, I'd try and uh, steal some of their ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, once I've got a drawing that I really, really like, I, I would scale it up onto a big sheet of watercolor paper. Mm. And then uh, that's when it becomes a little bit more finalized. Uh, and I'd spend at least a week or maybe two weeks painting them. The paintings would be done in watercolour and I would, once I've done as much watercolour as I possibly can, then I come in with gouache, which is, uh, it's not transparent like watercolour. So you can do things like those little touches of uh, snowflakes and highlights and things like that. And that's a lovely, that's always a magic moment to to add the, the, the falling snow. I really love that moment. I love your love for the snow. It's it's so interesting. I have another interview later today. And in the book, um, I was introduced to the existence of Wilson Bentley. Are you familiar with his work? No. He also, his nickname, his nickname was Snowflake Bentley. And I think, I mean, I'm not the one to introduce him at all, but he was known for, you know, being the first to really photograph, you know, the unique structures of snowflakes. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, and and they say that every snowflake is totally unique. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it I, is. I'm going. I'm going to look him up. Wilson Bentley. Yeah. Wilson Bentley. Yeah. I wish I'd known about him before I did the book. <laughs> well, I think you've done quite well oh, <laughs> without, but but no, it's an an interesting historical figure for you. Oh, what else do you want to share about this book with our listeners? Are there are there any other aspects you really would like to talk about? Well, I'm just thinking about, the, you know, those the, the last two lines were tricky. 
you know, mm. and, and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Yeah. And I think my initial response to that, because I think that's what everybody remembers about this, this poem. Um, yeah. I mean, we all have our favorite lines, but uh, that was kind of, that was what made it special to me when I was young. And, uh, and I suppose the obvious thing that I wanted to do was to have some sort of repetition uh, on the successive spreads. Mm-hmm. And then I, I pushed that idea a bit. And instead of having the repetition of a particular scene, I sort of staggered it. I, I, I kind of tried to syncopate my rhythm of my pictures with the rhythm of the text. So that the the end papers are actually the the um, the echo, if you like, uh, mm. of the previous spread, and the, the the end papers at the end of the book, it shows uh, what has happened overnight. Uh, she has miles to go before she sleeps, and then we see the next morning that scene where where we last saw her, and. We can't even see the footprints. There's just the merest indication that there may have been footprints of a horse going through there. And that was a, a, a really important piece of the, the, the planning of the book for me. And I, I, I'm really pleased with the way that, that one works as well. <laughs> I am too, it, because it uh, really, you know, and now I've gone through this book again and again and again. And I, you know, each time when I get to that, the final, that end paper, it, I'm overcome. Oh, by that oh, progression. Thank you, Megan. I'm so glad. Oh no, thank you, PJ, for the for the experience of reading it. Thank you for your generosity with me in conversation. Um, I yeah, I'm I, I'm still recovering. <laughs> I'm still recovering from your interpretation <laughs> of this poem. Um, I just wanted, by way oh. of exit, for a most remarkable, lovely conversation today. I just want to ask you, what's your favorite part of making books for young readers? Well, I, I, I love the drawing part with pencil. Uh, that, mm. that feels like the most creative thing. But mm. uh, I've heard it said that a book isn't complete until it has its reader. Um, yeah. So I think that moment when he, you can see someone opening your book and looking at the pictures and poring over the pictures, and maybe they, they love them so much and they're racing through, but I love it when there's mm. a child who's taking their time and pouring over the details and seeing some little things I've put in there. You know, that that's the special moment for me. Well, this is one to be poured over. It's Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost, illustrated by you, <laughs> PJ Lynch. Thank you so much, PJ, for joining me today on Fully Booked. Thank you so much, Megan. That was PJ Lynch, illustrator of Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost, published by Candlewick Press one of Kirkus's best picture books of 2022. After the break, we'll be joined by Young Readers editor Manaz Dar to discuss some more of our favorite picture books of the year. You're listening to Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews. This message is brought to you by Robert Morgan, author of Chimera Conflict. A fusion of medical thriller and science fiction, Morgan's debut novel chronicles the struggles of the first person to survive a corporeal transplant. Roger Scully, a Denver-based doctor, barely survives a gruesome car accident in Tibet that crushes everything below his navel. In Chengdu, radical surgery saves Scully's life but leaves him severely disabled. He sees no hope for his future quality of life. He has lost half his body. 
his Chinese doctors offer to transplant his brain into the body of a healthy donor sentenced to death. Scully agrees, and awakens after surgery in the body of an Uyghur and a new identity. Wu Zitang, MD. He is now a chimera, an organism with more than one source of DNA. Wu succeeds with rehabilitation and romance in China. Later, when he resumes his career in the U.S. as Roger Scully, MD, medical authorities consider him dead. How does Scully prove that he is alive? Kirkus Reviews said, quote, The novel's writing is fluid, the pacing brisk throughout, and the characters are well-developed, end quote. Readers can find Chimera Conflict on Amazon in Kindle, hardback, and paperback, and in Barnes & Noble on Nook. This message is brought to you by Mukana Press. The Newlyweds Window is an anthology of stories by contemporary African writers. Some of these 12 stories effectively address the shifting natures of identity and understanding across cultures. Others play with their characters' perceptions in order to reveal the deeper tensions of modern life. These and other tales are uniformly lean and precise, and the prose is exuberant or mordant depending on the story. Some manage both registers at the same time. Mukana Press sought out Africa's most promising and emerging short story writers, and the result has been The Newlyweds Window. Africa's stories have largely been relegated to themes of poverty and war, yet there is so much more brilliance, texture, and layers to these stories. This collection seeks to provide a platform for the rest of the world to become acquainted with the excellence of talent outside of the mainstream, as well as tell stories from fresh vantage points. Kirkus Reviews called it, quote, a varied but consistently satisfying sampler of emerging artists, end quote. Readers can find The Newlyweds Window on Amazon in Kindle, audiobook, paperback, and hard copy. This message is brought to you by Phil Adamo, author of the fiction novel The Medievalist. In this novel, two medieval scholars are asked to spy on their professor, who may have nefarious ties to a white supremacist group. Molly Isaacson and Quinton Quick are Yale grad students under the intellectually impressive and controversial professor Abe Kantorovich, who has garnered a reputation for breaking bread with Nazis and fascists, if only to criticize them. Molly and Quinton are suddenly approached by a humorously mysterious figure, FBI agent Nathaniel Mapp. Mapp asks the two students to survey Kantorovich, who he believes is working furtively with a white supremacist group. Not long after, Kantorovich asks Molly and Quinton to assist him with a, quote, archaeological experiment, end quote, to find a symbol that replaces the swastika as a unifying symbol of bigoted groups, a supposedly academic exercise in historical lucidity. Despite the gravity of the story's themes, Adamo often shoots for lightsome, if glib, comedy. Adamo intelligently combines the topical and the esoteric. At the heart of the novel is the alt-right's appropriation of medieval symbols to brand their hateful cause. This is an engrossing tale, a delightfully peculiar blend of intellectual and criminal investigation. Kirkus Reviews called it, quote, an engaging and humorous historical approach to contemporary racism, end quote. Readers can find The Medievalists on Amazon in Kindle and paperback. The ultimate insider scoop on the latest books, right here on Fully Booked. I'm joined now by Young Readers editor Manaz Dar to discuss the 100 best picture books of 2022. Hello, my friend. Welcome to Fully Booked. Hi, it's great to be here again. It's great to have you uh, and this one-on-one time. I'm so happy and excited for our conversation. Oh, me too. I always am. It's a beautiful list. Um, and there are many, many beautiful sublists, some of which I deeply identify with. I want to get into oh, the nitty gritty of that with you soon. But first, I was wondering, could we talk a little bit about your experience at the Kirkus Prize Ceremony, where we gathered in Austin at the end of October? Yeah, that was a wonderful experience. It was actually, um, as you know, my first time uh, taking part in the Kirkus Prize since I'm a relative newbie to Kirkus having joined in March, but I thought it was just such a wonderful experience. I loved every moment of it. Yeah. What did you think about the acceptance speeches? I thought they were really lovely. Um, everybody was just so clearly 
you know, moved. And so I think touched to be there, you know, Harmony Becker, a young leaders winner, I thought was just absolutely lovely. And it was great to see a, um, a graphic novel, another graphic novel, take the, the prize. I feel like that's still a format that's, you know, not always getting the love it deserves, but I think it's a step in the right direction for sure. And I know that it's a format that's especially near and dear to your heart, right? Yeah, it is. I do love a, um, a good graphic novel. I think it's just really amazing to see how the form has really flourished and come into its own, especially on, you know, the young people's uh, side of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very heartened to see it too. And I cannot, um, I cannot believe the amount of work that goes into that. Whew. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was great to see you there. It's great to have you here. And it's great to have this opportunity to discuss the best books of 2022. So it's very cool. We're actually, you know, able to expand our coverage on the podcast this year and offer three episodes, you know, covering young readers literature. So like, I'm really jazzed to do picture book specific with you. Um, let's take it to the list. I mean, so this was your first, you know, best books list building at Kirkus, you know, how did you approach the process this year? So I feel like it was, it's always kind of daunting to create a best books list. I've done it, you know, for yeah. 10 years before I was at Library Journal and School Library Journal. So I'm not no stranger to making a best list, but totally. I think the big change for me here was that it's a much bigger list, you know, like it's a hundred picture books, you know, so it almost sort of seems like, how do you even start? And I feel like starting with the stars is how, you know, I did start. And mm -hmm. that's how I kind of typically have always started a list, like looking at the books that have already kind of risen to the top. And um, then, you know, starting to kind of start with often like the ones that I feel like, okay, this is a must. Like I've, I've known for a while, I want this on my list. And then, you know, you have like a bunch that you have to have, and then you kind of fill in and start to think about gaps. Like, what do I, what do I not have? What's, missing because you want it to be, you know, a good representative list, like in terms of publishers, I think in terms of diversity of authors and subject when it comes to like cultural and so forth. And also in terms of like age ranges and topics, you know, you don't want it to just be a very serious list. You also want some humor in there. Um, so I just think, oh, it's like a big balancing act is how I think of it. <laughs> Yeah. And now as, as you were speaking, I started conjuring this image of like an, an elementary school and thinking about like <laughs> every child within that school being served by at least one of the titles on this list. Yeah. I think we like to talk about, you know, like people often will say like, oh, you know, this list has something for, for everyone. And I think it's hard to do that, but I think that's yeah. kind of the goal. You want someone to come away with something that they can take from it. And, you know, knowing that everyone is is different it's not like you know one person is going to sit down and love every single book on your list but if you can have a list that speaks to a, a broad range of people i think that's the goal yeah i agree but then you you of course you also do have those broad readers and i suspect that all of our colleagues are probably of this ilk you know the the readers whose parents had to maybe limit their the number of books they could check out on each visit to the library in the summer yeah, you know the ones who exactly. always want like the pizza slice at the end of the summer reading challenge you know yeah, yeah. I was definitely one of those readers for me sure. Too. <laughs> we, <yeah. laughs> me too. I think we all were. Takes one to know one. Yeah, yeah, we are. So you mentioned the word funny in one of your previous answers. And I'd like to zing in directly on this. If you want to use some of the sublists, these lovingly curated sublists for the picture books list to kind as kind of like a structure for the rest of our conversation, um, there is a funniest picture books of 2022 list. You want to start there with me? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. So um, actually, the book 
that comes to mind for me that is one of my favorite funny books is called Two Dogs. It's by Ian Falconer. Mm -hmm. And it's just hilarious. It's about two very bored dachshunds who (laughs) they're at home one day, you know, the family has gone out to their various, you know, school work, etc. And they make an escape to the backyard and they do that and they make a lot of mischief in the process. It's just really kind of like very wry and playful, the text and the illustrations, which have this just very like the line work just kind of dances almost. And I feel like these dogs have their, you know, very long lolling tongues firmly in cheek. And we wouldn't expect anything less from the creator of the Olivia books, but I feel like these two dogs really do rival um, Olivia, the little pig heroine that we've all loved in the past. Wait, wait, wait. Is this, is this the kicker, the actual kicker from the starred review? A snug, funny round of hijinks by low dogs? Yes, that's one of my favorite um, last lines. Actually, I think this is also the very first review I edited when I came to Kirkus, like really? way back in March. So that was also partly why I wanted to mention it. This one has kind of a... um you know, a soft spot in my heart because of that. Oh my God. And the artwork just on the cover alone, you've got two dogs on there and the, the, each one has a very distinct impression on their face. I'm just like constantly amazed by what uh, picture book illustrators do to communicate emotion in their artwork. And, you know, one looks like it's having a fraught day and the other one looks like it's, it's begging for cocktail wieners. (laughs) I know. I love these dogs both so much. And I think it's also just a really kind of testament to how like, you know, you can, kids often think like, oh, there's nothing to do. It's like completely boring. Like my life is boring. But like, I think that life is often made up of what happens in those moments, you know, not Mm -hmm. to get overly profound because it is just a really (laughs) funny book, but I feel like it works on that other level. I think that Ian Falconer is just such an amazing thoughtful writer and illustrator. Totally. Um, There's another book on this list that I remember you recommending with enthusiasm on one of our previous editors segments, and that was Creepy Crayon. Oh, yes. I am such a Creepy Crayon fan. I cannot get enough of this book. And I feel like it's one of those books that can kind of sit in different places. Like you could, if I had a paranormal list, I could have put it there, you know, but like, I also just felt like it was so hilarious. I love that this book which is about this um, rabbit named Jasper who comes across a crayon that he thinks is the answer to his problem because the crayon is helping him do his homework where he's previously not doing well in school. But then it starts taking, it starts, he's the crayon takes over his life and he's feeling constricted by it. And it's kind of like this homage to the Twilight Zone, to like old Vincent Price movies with the kind of, you know, mostly black and white palette. And I feel like it's just really um, just so absolutely clever, this one. Is there anything else you'd like to call out on the funniest picture books list before we move on to another sublist? Oh, I also really liked um, No Nose Had Custard the Squirrel. And this is one that we haven't talked about in a podcast, so it might not be familiar to you. It's by Sergio Rousier. And I like it because, um, so this is a story of two creatures. Um, One is Custard, who looks like a bird, but Custard insists that they're in fact a a squirrel and this little mouse character just is like, no, you're not a, you're not a squirrel. You're a bird. Like you're clearly a bird. You should do bird things. But Custard is very insistent and it is really funny. I think it's the kind of book that like is going to get a lot of giggles when you're reading it with a kid. But there's also this really cool message of identity, like this idea that like you should respect people for who they are and 
this idea that you don't have to, if someone tells you who they are, you don't have to argue them down. I think it's just, it's funny, but like, I think sometimes when there's humor, that can also open the door to deeper conversations. And sometimes even in a way that can be more effective than if you're sort of hitting someone over the head with a message, so to speak. Yeah, totally. Oh, I know that this, you know, it wasn't made for me, but I feel like the funniest picture books of 2022 is like, it's me. Like, this, yeah, this I, think, like, I thought so too. I felt like I could not talk about some funny picture books. Yeah, that's like the list for me. And I feel like I know that you've made all these lists and like, the, you know, but of, of the, the, the monoziest list on here to me will have to be best picture books of 2022 for animal lovers. Oh, yeah, that is one of my favorite lists. I mean, I feel like I love all of these. Yeah, of course. These sub lists, but that is definitely a really good one. I remember actually one of the first books that I um, talked about on the podcast is a book that I put on that list. It's called um, Big Cats by Tyus D. Williams with illustrations by Chaya Prabhat. And that's definitely one. um, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it since we talked about it, but it's really cool. But I want to. you, You should. It goes like hour by hour looking at different big cat species like tigers and leopards and jaguars and sort of saying like what every animal does in this hour of the day like okay like here's dusk where the tiger is going to go hunting you know here is like an hour where the mom lion is going to rear her cubs and so forth and it's just really interesting and just physically beautiful well designed but also i like that it really it gives you a sense of like narrative and story while also giving you a lot of information Hmm. I see another book on this list, The Sun is Late and So is the Farmer by Philip Seastead, illustrated by Aaron Eastead. Um, what's the, do you know the relationship between author and illustrator? I believe they are husband and wife. And yes, they are husband and wife. Um, and they work together on many, many books and done an amazing job, like A Sick Day for Amos McGee, um, oh. which is like now more than a decade old. And <laughs> I think of that as one of my favorite ones I remember reading that one in library school and and they do just such an amazing job I think this one is really cool because they always kind of play with what a picture book can be while still kind of giving them this classic form and feeling and this one is in particular about um this morning where the farmer doesn't come and these three animals on the farm are just kind of freaking out a little bit. Not freaking out, because it's a very mm. quiet book, but they're yeah. like, should we go and wake the farmer? What should we do? And it's the book has the feeling of being almost like a dream a little bit. It's very um, almost surreal, but also kind of melodic in a way, too. It's a really gorgeous one and almost like philosophical, but for that younger reader. That's so cool. And I, I asked in particular about the author and illustrator because I had like a, a really surprising experience the other day of interviewing um, Candace Fleming, who wrote oh. Polar Bear and it's illustrated by Eric Roman. And they've done several books, like including Giant Squid. And I'm like, I'm such a cephalopod yeah. fan. So that was on my radar. And these, and like, I was really surprised. I said, so how, what's your creative partnership like? She's like, well, we're also in a life partnership. So I was like, oh, I didn't even know. Oh, wow. So yeah. just thinking about people who, you know, share their homes and also share this creative work is um, interesting. I know. It's kind of, it's a beautiful thing when you can see it happening. And yeah. I always kind of wonder, like, is that why some of them are so successful? Because you have that sort of synergy from knowing each other, maybe. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, 
Any other lists you want us to dive into? Yeah, there's one list that I wanted to unpack a little bit. Uh, It's kind of my most, not cryptic sounding, but I think it has the most interesting name. Mm -hmm. And that is the best books to spark conversations. Um, And I feel like this is sort of one where you're kind of like, oh, like, what does that really mean? Because it's a little bit, a little bit mysterious, but basically (laughs) it's books that are about both and some some of them are about books that are about hard topics that can be hard to explain to a kid mm-hmm. and others are i think books that are about things that um just that open the door to really interesting conversations so one example one of my favorite books of this um this year is called Paradise Sands by Levi Pinfold and um this is one about a girl and her brother is going on a trip to the desert to visit their mother and they stop to pick flowers and they come across this weird palace populated by animals, including a talking lion. The brothers eat and drink the food, but the sister is less trusting and she may be the key to their rescue. And it's one of those just books where it's very Chris Van Ellsberg-esque, the kind of photorealistic illustrations, the sense of the surreal, all these weird details. Like you don't, you read the first time and you don't really know what's going on. And then you kind of have to go back and you're going to notice other things and it's for a slightly older reader, like maybe ages seven and, and up. And I think it's one of those books that really, it almost gets stuck in your head like a song. Like I found myself mm. kind of obsessed with this one just because yeah. like, I don't know what it means and I don't think I ever will, but I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Yes. I And I like to live with that ambiguity too. That's very satisfying. Um, I'm thrilled to see Until Someone Listens by Estella Juarez with Lizette Norman. Oh, that's right. You interviewed her, didn't you? Yes, I did. And this one's illustrated by Teresa Martinez. Don't want to forget to mention. Um, Yeah, I had a blast speaking with her over Zoom, and we actually did it for a print feature. And she was so lovely, poised, um, and thoughtful. And I really liked learning about her process, you know, like because her writing started, you know, as a lot of writing does with young writers, you know, through journaling, uh, diary entries. And uh, she has an important message to share. Yeah. And I love that this one was so um, from that child perspective, because I feel like it can be very easy to be like, to couch it like, this is a thing that's happening to people. But like when it's from that first person point of view, you realize, you know, it's a kid like you dealing with it. And I think that's what makes it so immediate and so, so visceral too. Yeah. It's so personalized, you know? Yes. And of course, this is a story of, you know, like ultimately her mother was deported um, back to Mexico. She she traveled here when she was 18 and she signed one of those papers that says, you know, I'm, that basically invalidates any bid for naturalization you might make in, in your future life. Even if you meet and marry a Marine and have two beautiful children and you establish yeah. yourself and are a business person and a member of your community, you know, like you, the whole time, you know. You, you're, you're, the sanctity of, of that life you've created is in jeopardy, you know, and uh, what their family went through was tr- truly horrifying. And to hear Estella tell it with such power and poise is, is it's a remarkable picture book. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else on the list you want to highlight? On that list, another one that I thought was really amazing um, is called Abuelita and Me by mm. Leonardo Carranza, illustrated by Rafael Mayani. And this is about a child and their grandmother, um, their abuelita, who is often treated badly by those around her. And it's kind of, it's implied that it's because of race, but it's not super explicit. Um, Mm -hmm. So like one day, for example, the child and abuelita get on the bus and abuelita needs to sit down to gather her money because she's afraid she's going to fall with the the bus kind of rocking. And the driver makes this really cool remark about like, oh, you know, you people not paying Uh 
your fares and it really upsets the young child and just when they go home the kid doesn't really want to go out again they're just feeling like what if this happens again and like just the sense of like fear about the world and the way that the world can be really cruel and abuelita talks to the child and it ends on a note of hope but not like in a very not in a like this is how we wrap it up and everything's going to be okay it's more like well this is sort of how the world is but we have each other we have that love and i think it's just really interesting because you know it doesn't give you the answers and it's a kind of book that i think it's not the kind of book you just hand to a kid it's the kind of book that you share and that really the book is sort of meant to be opening up a conversation it's not just a book where you finish it and i think that that's really important and i don't i don't think we have a lot of picture books or a lot of books in general that really explore microaggressions in that way and i think that it's yeah. the kind of book that really shows you that a small incident can be kind of life-altering really for a kid i mean for the bus driver it's like nothing but for the kid this is like really shaping how you see the world and yeah i think it's really um a really beautiful one yeah i do too and i love you know knowing that these books will be life-altering experiences for so many young readers going forward you know like these those books you just carry with you your whole life and you know are so significant how's your year in reading manaz i think it's been a good year for um for reading i feel like um it's, I know it's been sort of hard for a lot of people with like pandemic and all. And I've been reading about people who are having a hard, you know, you have a hard time focusing, but I feel like a lot of the books on this list have really kind of um, reinvigorated me in a way. Mm, yeah. And I think that they're going to do so for a lot of other readers as well. Manaz, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join me on Fully Booked to discuss the 100 best picture books of 2022. This was so much fun. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. It's always a pleasure, Megan. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Well, that does it for another episode of Fully Booked. Thank you so much for joining us. Please join us again next week for our continuing coverage of the best books of 2022. Up next is Middle Grade, and my guest will be L.D. Lipinski, author of The Secrets of the Storm Forest, the conclusion of their utterly amazing Strange Worlds Travel Agency trilogy, which Kirkus calls a moving conclusion to a delightful trilogy, starred review. Then we'll be joined by Young Readers editors Laura Simeon and Manaz Dar to discuss the best middle grade books of the year. You won't want to miss it. But until then, you know what to do. Turn this thing off and go read a book. Thanks for listening to Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews. Check out new episodes every Tuesday at podcastone.com on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.